In this episode, I talk to sex therapist Dr. Karen Gurney. Karen is an absolute goldmine of information when it comes to understanding sex and desire. After listening to this, you can find out more by watching Karen's two TED Talks, reading her book, Mind the Gap, and by following her on Instagram. Her handle is The Sex Doctor. For many of us, accessing our sexual desire can be challenging. So how can we unlock our sexual aliveness? Perhaps a good place to start is to gain a better and deeper understanding about how our desire actually works. So in this conversation, Karen and I discuss sexual desire, how misunderstood it is, why it declines over time and how to reawaken it. And Karen shares a really accessible technique to help you to turn your desire back on and up. She calls this technique sexual currency. We started by addressing a common misconception that if you're in the right relationship, then good sex will automatically follow. This is one of the biggest myths. This idea that if you're in a happy relationship, if you love someone dearly, then sex should just happen and should just work. And it's one of the things that leads to quite a lot of misery, actually, in people's sex lives and leads to me having lots and lots of couples and individuals sat in front of me in the therapy room saying, we just don't get it. We have a great relationship, but for some reason, sex doesn't happen. So a huge myth around um, our desire being something that should just happen out of the blue. And we know that actually in a longer term relationship, particularly but not exclusively for women, that we kind of can't really expect desire to work like that, that we can expect that at the start of a relationship we will have desire like that, that feels very out of the blue and very spontaneous, and that perhaps a year or two years in, that that might start to change and the desire that we can aim for is more responsive or nurtured desire. But sadly, without that information, we're left completely in the dark of how to manage our sex lives. And so many people feel they're totally alone in it, don't they? Because people don't talk about their sex lives openly with each other. And so all you have to go on are those models shown to you in, in popular culture, you know, in the movies. It's always that that case of, of passionate, spontaneous desire that, as you say, you might have at the beginning of your relationship. But when it goes, you're left wondering whether perhaps um, a lack of sexual desire for your long-term partner means the relationship isn't right. Absolutely. And I think the two things that I see most in the people that consult with me is a sense that either they're broken or their relationship is doomed. And if you think about the repercussions of that, actually, for people, families, society, it's really quite large. It's not helped by the fact that, as you say, we experience desire slightly differently at the beginning of relationships. So quite often people, and it's not always women, but it's often women, because men experience this too. Um, women will come to me and say, it must be me because it's happened in every relationship I've been in. And of course, it would do because it's about length of time with someone um, and that's a normal change. But as you say, the other problem is that the way in which desire is shown to us as a society is as something which precedes sexual activity. So the idea is that you first feel horny or you first feel the psychological urge to have sex and then you take steps towards that 
and then sex happens. And that model comes from some very, very old sex science, which we now know to be quite outdated, but it still forms um, the backbone of kind of societal opinion of how desire should happen in relationships, which is that you just kind of sit around and wait for it, which if you do, might mean it's very unlikely to happen. And because we're sitting around waiting for that moment of spontaneous sexual desire that, as you say, might never come, if um, if our partner, for example, does try to initiate sex and we're not feeling that spontaneous desire, uh, we tend to just immediately shut it down, don't we? Whereas perhaps if we were more open to that potential, potentially a kiss or or that physical stimulation, then then what you're saying, I think, is is that the sexual desire might come into play after that. Yes. So what we now know is the case from sex research is that desire actually comes a bit later on in the process than we originally thought. And desire actually comes after our bodies already start to respond with what we call physical arousal. So that's when the, the kind of you get chemicals rushing around the body, saying prepare for sex and you get increased blood flow and all those kind of changes that people listening will recognize if they see a good sex scene on tv that kind of feeling you get in your body we know that desire actually follows that for a lot of people and so you first need to create a situation where you feel receptive to the idea of seeing if you can kickstart that um what that might mean in practice as you say is um a partner approaches you for a kiss and a kiss is often something which triggers desire for people if it's a kiss that they enjoy and as long as you're receptive to that as a what we call a sexual stimuli so just something which could trigger desire then quite often arousal and desire will follow and this model of understanding desire comes from various bits of sex research but was put together quite nicely by um, an American physician called Rosemary Basson who's done quite a lot of work into how desire works. But as you quite rightly say the problem with how we've conceptualized desire is that because we're expecting to feel like it first we often put up quite a lot of barriers to sexual stimuli so we're not receptive. So if somebody says to us you know it'd be really nice to have some time together tonight, kind of wink, wink. Um, We think, well, no, because I'm not feeling like it. Um, Not really understanding that actually it's creating that time, having that physical connection, having that time for desire to build, which is what we need to see desire really flourish. So what's the first step? If we feel like desire is lacking and we feel like we're not having the sex life that we want, which I think can happen for so many reasons you know lots of work going on you've got young kids you've got a busy life you've been with the same person for a very long time what would be the first step if you did want to reawaken your sexual desire so the first thing I would say is try not to worry about it too much people are very concerned that there's something wrong with their desire and in my experience and I've been doing this job 20 years is that there very rarely is that actually the problem with people's desire is their understanding of desire so firstly try not to worry too much over a third of women um, almost 20 percent of men are worried that they don't feel like sex enough that's the first statistic to kind of pay attention to The second is that people are having sex a lot less than you think they are. (laughs) 
So there's a bit of a myth that everyone's having sex a couple of times a week. They're not. People are having sex around about twice or three times a month, much less if they've got young children. And for some people, um, they're not having sex at all month to month. And all of those things are normal. Frequency is a bit of a red herring anyway, and it's about quality that I'm sure we'll talk about later. So firstly, try not to worry about it. But you absolutely need to understand how desire works. It's crucial to long-term sexual satisfaction. And if sex is important to your relationship, which it is for most people, it's crucial to long-term relationship satisfaction. It's one of the reasons I wrote my book, Mind the Gap, which is all about the science of desire and how it works, because we've been sold an absolute lie about how it should work. And understanding it really is the key to unlocking it and having it feature in your sex life as much as you want. So that that would be my first two points. Don't worry about it, then really understand it. The third thing that I would suggest that people do is to think about not how often they're feeling desire or how often they're being they're having sex with a partner, but rather what the sexual charge is between them and somebody that they're in a relationship with. So I call this sexual currency, and it basically means what's the culture of your relationship at the moment when it comes to sex? If there was a fly on the wall in your in your apartment or in your house, what would it see between the two of you that was about a sexual charge? And people will connect with this idea because at the start of a relationship, when desire, when spontaneous desire is high, we often have high levels of sexual currency. So lots of flirting, lots of kissing for kissing's sake, passionate kissing, lots of bum grabs, lots of flirty texts, lots of I can't wait to do this texts, lots of talking about sex, lots of eye gazing. Lots of physical contact together without any real aim, like laying in bed together, stroking each other's bodies. This is sexual currency. And this is something that we know declines the longer that we're in a relationship with someone. It doesn't have to, but it's a cultural shift that starts to happen when other contexts of our relationships take centre stage as well. So contexts like sharing a home together, and having jobs to do, contexts like co-parenting, contexts like having a great solid friendship. All of these things take the spotlight off our relationship, our sexual relationship a little bit, and can mean that sexual currency declines. And possibly one of the biggest changes that people can make to their sex life is by not worrying about desire and by not worrying about how much they're having sex, but instead turning up the dial on sexual currency because I can guarantee that that makes you feel connected as a couple sexually, makes you feel desired by the other, makes you feel you've got that something that other people don't have, that special connection that's just about the two of you, but most importantly acts as a trigger for desire. That's such a lovely reframe to because it takes the pressure off um, going from perhaps not having sex at all and gives you something really concrete to focus on that's really achievable. What what are some great starter steps to to turning up the dial of sexual currency? That's a good question. And when I'm working with couples on this, I always try and match a starting step with where they currently feel comfortable because. If you're out of the habit of relating to each other in this way and you started to feel a bit like brother and sister or sister and sister, then it can be really hard to, t- to 
take that first step if that first step feels like something a bit awkward, a bit too much. So it's good to start from where you are now. But I would say as a general theme, one of the biggest changes that most people could make is to think about bringing back passionate kissing. Passionate kissing usually after some time with the same person, starts to be something that we only do when we're having sex. The problem of that, and this goes back to what you were saying at the beginning, is that as soon as a partner starts kissing us that way, we think, oh, I know what they want. And in fact, then we can't enjoy the kiss. Then we can't allow our arousal and desire to build because we're just thinking, I'm not feeling desire right now. So the passionate kiss itself feels pressurized. Whereas if we had you know a passionate kiss a day before one of us left for work or just before bed that we both knew there was no pressure for that to go anywhere it allows a way to connect sexually it also allows a moment for desire to emerge so something like that would be a great place to start and I remember uh, you you telling me years ago a, a lovely idea um, which I've used many times since which is to um text your partner uh, a, a sexual memory that you have a sort of memory of having sex maybe in the early stages of your relationship as a as a, a form of sexual currency and I just I think that's a really lovely example because um, perhaps it reconnects you with where you were at the start of your relationship absolutely and even better if you can accompany that with perhaps um, a song that was connected to that sexual experience because um, music really evokes strong memories in us and can really transport us back to a time. And as you quite rightly say, that's not just acting as sexual currency, that memory. It's also triggering that nostalgia of, yes, we are that couple. We feel that way about each other. Do you remember how that felt? It's bringing all of that back, which is often a really wonderful thing to do and really connects us romantically and intimately as well as sexually. And I can imagine that um, perhaps wearing a particular scent or um, a particular outfit or I mean, you can make anything mean what you want it to mean, can't you? So if you have an agreement with your partner that um, wearing a particular lipstick or putting on a particular perfume is kind of a signal to them that you're thinking about them sexually, then you can pepper your relationship you can have these moments of sexual currency it doesn't have to be explicit does it you know lots of people don't feel comfortable um, maybe being sexually affectionate with each other say in front of their children or or other people and so little things like that can they work as sexual currency yes and things like glances stolen glances winks you know those types of things can be really powerful and can really make us feel special seen desired Um, and I would say that if if anyone was going to give this a go I would really encourage them to um, throw themselves into this and see it as a real experiment of what would it be like if we took any type of sex off the agenda, but instead turned up the dial of our sexual currency to deafening levels? What would it be like if we did that for a week and we both really uh, played with it and we allowed each other to try new things and to feel a bit silly and to get it wrong and for sometimes it to feel awkward and for sometimes it not to land? 
And what I notice when couples do this is that prior to doing it, they've put a lot of emphasis on waiting for this imaginary spontaneous desire, which sadly doesn't come. And then there's a lot of pressure around sex, which makes initiation awkward, pressurized, which is a real killer of desire. And when they turn it on its head and try something quite different like this, they find that the sexual currency acts not just as a way to make them feel sexual when they're not having sex, which is a great tool, by the way, if you've got young kids or you've got a lot of stress or perhaps you're going through something that means sex is off the agenda for a bit, but it also acts as a really nice scaffolding to move you from a non-sexual space to a sexual space. It's like a uh, a language that can help the two of you quite easily traverse into something sexual. And so it's very effective. I, I think it's brilliant on so many levels because you're not just doing something to elevate that particular relationship above other relationships. It's like a secret language between just the two of you. But also, as you were just saying, it's a way to reintroduce not just sexual desire potentially, but also fun and playfulness, which often falls by the wayside in in very long-term relationships. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, we are probably predominantly talking here about long-term monogamous relationships. And there's a, a real reason for that, which is they're the situations that maintaining a good sex life is most challenging. And it's it's important to acknowledge that, is that if you're in a long-term monogamous relationship, you kind of need to put some work in if you want to have a good sex life in the long term. But when we're thinking about monogamy, it's really important to remember that that feeling of being wanted by someone, that feeling of excitement when you get a text that's suggesting something, that feeling of being seen as a sexual person and not just a housemate or um, a co-parent is something that we all crave. And it's important to feel that we can have that in our long-term relationship if we don't want to feel vulnerable to looking for that elsewhere. And if people want to um, to do this and, and to take your advice and, and turn up the dial on sexual currency in their relationship, is it something that you need to agree with your partner or or is it something that you can you can begin to do without, you know, if you fi- say you find it hard to talk about it with your partner, um, can you just can you just get going with it? Or would you recommend that it's something you should agree that you're going to do together? So you could get going with it. Um, that would be okay. It would have much better results, though, if you can talk together and you could say, hey, I listened to this really great episode of the Guidance Library and this was the advice. Listen to it. See what you think. I think it would be really fun to try it. And I would love us to have um, this sexual charge between us. I would love us to have more responsive desire. And let's make a pact together that will play with this, experiment with this, take any type of sex off the agenda and see what happens my kind of top tip, I suppose, to making that conversation go well is to let people know why it matters to you. So something like, I really miss this sense of closeness that we had. I really miss um, having that sense of kind of sexual connection. And I was listening to this episode and I think this would be a great thing to try because I think it would have great results for our relationship generally and our sex life. It's hard for people to resist that kind of that kind of sell. And actually, the beauty of it is having that conversation, that initial conversation or sharing the podcast episode is the first bit of sexual currency. 
Absolutely. Yeah. And it's a real commitment to what you're wanting. You know, it's very normal for there to be a desire discrepancy um, between two people. In fact, it's very rare to have a similar idea of how much sex you want to be having day to day, week to week. So we should consider it to be normal to be on a different page. And just as the person feeling lower amounts of spontaneous desire can feel broken, the person feeling higher amounts can feel quite rejected. And so having somebody say, this is just as important to me as it is to you. And yes, I experience my desire differently. And it isn't really out of the blue like it was at the beginning. But listen, I've I've learned that it, it can feature as much as we want it to. That can be a huge relief. I think listening to everything you've said so far um, will be hugely reassuring to so many people. As ever, um, that old saying is true. Comparison is the thief of joy. And the but the truth is we're all comparing with this idea that isn't actually happening probably in any relationship. Um, <laughs> so, true. so I think it will be, it will be so reassuring to have, to have these facts from you. You know, you know what you're talking about. You're seeing people day in, day out who are revealing the truth of their sex lives. And the, I mean, what you said earlier about frequency, I'm sure is just going to be like a huge weight off loads of people's yes. shoulders to realize oh okay there's no right or wrong amount of times we should be having sex actually as you said it's the quality of it that really counts that's it the is. really connecting force when it comes to sex it really is yeah it's you know sex once a year that blows your socks off is much more valuable than sex every week which is diminishing your desire over time because it's not meeting your conditions for what good sex is for you Thank you so much, Karen. I think this this whole concept of sexual currency is such a brilliant first step for people to just focus on that. You've given a pathway to people to find their way back to their sexual selves. So thank you so much. Thank you for having me. So many invaluable nuggets of information and insight. If this has whet your appetite, then find Karen on Instagram, watch her TED Talks and read her book. All the links you need are in the show notes. You can also listen to the second part of my conversation with Karen. In the Feel Sexual episode, she takes me through a tool designed to help you to find the formula you need to enjoy really great sex. Finally, let me recap her advice for you from this episode. If you want to turn your levels of desire back up, first, agree with your partner that you will take sex off the agenda for a few weeks. Instead, make sexual currency your focus. Discuss ways to increase the sexual charge between you. Passionate kissing, perhaps. Texting memories or sharing music that takes you back to a time when your passions ran high. Wearing a certain scent, stolen glances, good old-fashioned winks, a particular way of touching each other when you're in public. Your objective is to set your relationship apart from all the other relationships in your life, to elevate it, to make it feel special, to make it feel sexual and charged. See where it takes you. I wish you well. Thanks for listening.